when we talk about disparities of that nature, we're talking about, you know, a generation of life lost. And when you put COVID on top of that, I think the risk that we're talking about is those disparities widening, which to me is just a horrific thought. Most of us look back at the COVID-19 pandemic as a frightening negative time. But for Sarah Lewis, vice president of health equity at Hartford HealthCare, the forced isolation left Americans watching news accounts of racial injustice and responding in historically significant ways. Stories of brutality caused us to examine the pervasiveness of racial inequity, which Sarah calls a great and ever-present truth in our society, including the healthcare system, often for the first time in our lives. Numbers tell that grim truth. Consider that in 1950, death rates from coronary heart disease were comparable for both black and white people. By 2000, the death rate for black people was 30% higher than for white people. Black people now have a 30% higher rate of death from cancer than white people. Life expectancy of a black male is 68 compared to 75 for a white male. Black females also live shorter lives, an average of 75 years compared with white females at 80 years. Infant mortality rates are 6% for the white population, 14% for the black population. Social factors like income, location, and education level drive these numbers. In her role at Hartford HealthCare, Sarah examines such numbers. While she calls it nerdy to do so, it's where she finds reinforcement for the work she and the system are doing to address inequity. It's a job for everyone, though, and she suggests we address our implicit bias by talking to others, reading, and listening. Here's a great place to start. Welcome to Hartford HealthCare's podcast, The Racial Divide, Acknowledging and Addressing Disparities in Healthcare. Here's Sarah's interview with Hartford HealthCare's Steve Coates. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. While the COVID-19 crisis continues to grip the nation, one area that has really been uncovered is inequity in healthcare for people of color and for those in the inner cities. Not just for COVID, but in areas of access, life expectancy, specific diseases like heart disease and hypertension. And if there's any positive to come from the pandemic, we're now talking about the issue locally and nationally. What else are we learning about this during these historic times? Right. So as you said, the the curtain's sort of been pulled back on this um, grim and ever-present truth that health outcomes are different based on one's skin color and often based on one's zip code. And I think what COVID has helped us do is understand the pervasiveness of this. It's not specific necessarily to one part of the country or another. It's everywhere. It may present differently in different parts of the country, but we see the same sort of overall presence of disparities um, across the country. And in Connecticut, we see them particularly in our in our urban areas, um, the life expectancy difference between the north end of Hartford and, and West Hartford Central is about, the center of, of West Hartford, excuse me, is about 15 years. Difference in between Bridgeport and Westport is about 19 years. Um, so then when we talk about disparities of that nature, we're talking about, you know, a generation of life lost. And, and when you put COVID on top of that, I think the risk that we're talking about is those disparities widening, which to me is just a horrific thought. 
And I think what put the final point on it for many Americans who either weren't aware or for whatever reason were reluctant to accept that this is the way things are in this country um, was the killing of George Floyd and the killing of Breonna Taylor and the killing of Ahmaud Arbery happening all at once, happening, although Ahmaud Arbery was killed really before COVID took off, but the spotlight being shown in this moment when very few of us could leave our houses, we all were sort of glued to the news, um, and many of us, uh, not me, but many people were already sheltering in place and decided to put on a mask and go outside and protest um, the fact that there's been this other sort of pandemic that's been going on, but for 400 years when it comes to racial inequity. I get the feeling now, and, and you talked a little bit about how people were were in their houses and did a lot of time to think, but I'm getting the vibe and the feeling now that I've never felt in my lifetime that it's either you're, you're part of the problem or you're part of the solution. I mean, is that where we're at? I, w- I want to, I am hopeful that that is where we are. Like you, I, I haven't seen this level of sustained engagement and activism from people who are willing to give something up for things to change. You know, that's that's really what racial equity, um, the conversation needs to be about being a little bit more uncomfortable and making more space. And eventually, by doing that, all of us will be healthier and happier and our society will overall be more just. But it, it does mean sitting back and listening to voices that have historically been marginalized and, and letting those voices lead and letting their stories be told. And I'm seeing that happening in so many different forums and so many different parts of the world. And it is helpful for me. One, one of the things about health care that I found throughout COVID is that working in healthcare, we can make an immediate impact on addressing this. So talk a little bit about what Hartford Healthcare has been doing. Yeah, we can. It's what gets me out of bed every day is how much our system can do and is dedicated to doing. I've been here for a four year, just basically celebrated my one year anniversary at Hartford Healthcare. And in that time, we've been talking about how we can, I like to call it, practice at the top of our license as a healthcare system. You know, we employ 30,000 people across the state of Connecticut. We touch every community of the state. And that means that the way that we deliver care can take into account that it's not just about equality, which is treating everyone the same. It's about equity. That means giving people what they need. So one of the things that my team really focuses on is our opportunity with our incredible health record system to collect data. And that may sound like a sort of nerdy answer, but the data helps us tell the story of the patients that we serve. And as we like to say, what what gets measured matters. So if we're collecting the data on race, ethnicity, and language, sex orientation, and gender identity, um, then we can understand better how those disparities around life expectancy that I mentioned earlier actually play out in our patient populations. And then we have the brightest minds in the business here. We can conduct research studies. We can introduce clinical interventions. We can introduce community-based interventions that will help us drive down those disparities over time. The census was in the news before COVID hit. Hartford and other Connecticut cities didn't do very well when it came to responding. How important is the census to how people are represented when it comes to health? Oh, man, it's so important. Um, It's only done every 10 years, and it determines how our state receives critical funding 
for the things that many of us refer to as essential services, like healthcare, like education, um, like infrastructure for our roads. We need every single person in every part of the state to be counted so that the federal government can then allocate the appropriate amount of dollars for everything that that community needs. And undercounting means that people don't actually end up getting the support that the federal government is going to provide to us over over the coming 10 years. And it doesn't require uh, whether, it doesn't talk about citizenship, it doesn't matter whether what your documentation status is, it's just about who's living in a house, who's living in a place of residence, that's all it is. Um, we did make a big push earlier in the year, COVID's sort of taken over. Our community partners have done a great job of continuing to raise, the, um, raise awareness about the need to complete it. Um, and we still have a few more months to go, so I, I believe we can, we can keep hitting the mark as far as Hartford and some of our other urban areas is concerned. Talk a little bit about implicit bias and how it can have an impact on how care is delivered. So implicit bias is something that we all have, right? We're we're human beings. We're a very successful species. One of the ways that we differentiate between threats and things that are not threats is by categorizing them very quickly through a part of our brain that we don't really control. It's automatic. And the way that society influences us can lead to us leading to think that some things are are threats when they're not. And and that's where the problem comes in when it comes to um, implicit bias potentially being a roadblock to safe care or, in fact, something that leads to unsafe care. Our biases are things we don't necessarily consciously know about or act on consciously but can determine how we treat another person, speak to another person, make decisions on behalf of another person. And it's important in healthcare that we remove this potential quality and safety risk. That's how I see it. I see it just like I would see not checking to see whether someone's receiving the right dose of a medication. It's something that we need to be able to check in on, recognize without judgment, because it's not about blaming someone or, or calling someone a bad person for having unconscious thoughts, but to give ourselves a, a moment to take a breath and then move beyond the thought if it's not what we want to be the thing guiding our actions. So we have safety training. We have all kinds of training in healthcare. Is it are we get getting to the point now where all health healthcare workers need to be trained in, in, in bias? That's that's what we're that's what we're planning to do. We're we're doing our research on on the best approaches, understanding that certain members of the care team might respond to different training modules better than others. But it's something that I think the research has shown where we need to keep refreshing it. We're gonna to need to create a culture where we're comfortable talking about it. And we're going to need to again include it among the things that we identify as threats to, to quality and So what can individuals do? I think some people might feel powerless. They see everything on TV. There's a lot of, you know, there's so much talk about about bias and and disparity. Uh, Say I'm a nurse at Bacchus Hospital. I'm a nurse at Charlotte Hungerford. I work in environmental services at at St. Vincent's. What can I do each and every day to kind of address these, these issues? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. What I've what one of the things I've loved about Jeff Flax's response to this moment around racial reckoning in our country is how many people have reached out and asked me that question or reached out and said, What can I do? How can I help? I want to be part of the solution. And one of the things that you can do is start within your media community of asking yourself and the people you love and your friends, what do you think about about race relations? What did you learn in school? Some people are a little bit nervous to to challenge their assumptions. And I've had 
had a lot of very learned people share with me that they're embarrassed that their education that led them to become a doctor or whatever they are now never really included information around the details of Brown v. Board of Education or other moments that to me are seminal in African-American and American history, but that have in some ways been held behind a curtain for those who don't find it resonant with their particular worldview. And also there are lots of things that you can read. You know, I think that a nice point of of entry for people who are new to talking about race is the book, So You Want to Talk About Race. It's, It's very accessible. I've had some friends tell me that they're listening to it on Audible. So I would say immerse yourself in those works. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' writing is, uh, is some of the most eloquent and accessible work, again, that is current, it's modern. Roxanne Gay comes at it from the point of view of feminism as well as being black in America and lots of intersectionality there. So I'd say keep reading and listening and also just start with your friends and your colleagues and see people you trust and then start challenging yourself to sort of see what assumptions you might have. Coming out of covid and, and, you know, looking to the future, are you hopeful? I am. And I will say that part of that hope is related to my immediate environment. I'm extremely proud of the way that the state of Connecticut has responded to this pandemic. We have this low infection rate. We have really thoughtful public leaders. We have great healthcare leaders, people in the community wearing their masks, taking care of one another. It's been really beautiful to be a part of that patchwork and that response. And while I'm still, to be honest, you know, fearful about the next wave of the pandemic and, and, and how it will co- eventually come to, the, to come to a close with treatments and, and vaccines, et cetera, I am hopeful that so many people in so many different walks of life are talking about this intersection of racial inequity, societal inequity, and health inequity. And, you know, we have the CEO of the largest health system in Connecticut talking about it every day. And I have... Uh, friends and colleagues from across the country reaching out to me who never really talked about it, um, asking for advice, asking for direction. And I, th- I think that means that we're, we are on track to make some, some real progress if we continue doing the work. It seems like a, like a massive lift, but I think people feel good if they can see progress. And are there any areas you think we can make immediate, almost immediate progress to kind of set the stage for some really um, good reforms? Hmm. Um, You know, the data piece that I mentioned sounds, again, sounds very wonky, but it sets us up for success over the long term because it helps us tell the story of what these disparities really look like. I also think that one of the things that we're doing here at Harvard Healthcare is we're standing up internally our diversity and inclusion council for the whole system. And through that council, which will you know be comprised of people who work within our system, we're going to have conversations about implicit bias. We're going to have conversations about how diversity, equity, and inclusion help us reach our business goals as a system, how, how it helps us identify with our community. Those are things that we don't need to do an extensive amount of research to do. Like it, we can, it'll obviously be guided by best in practice guidelines, but it doesn't require any of us to go out and get additional certification necessarily. We can, we can do that together. And I think that systems that dedicate themselves to doing that work internally will see some rewards in the short term. Sarah Lewis, Hartford HealthCare Vice President of Health Equity. Thanks so much for your time today, and thank you for the important work you and your team are doing, really making a difference when it comes to improving health equity here in Connecticut. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. Sarah Lewis and Steve Coates. 
One way to impact the future of healthcare and change inequity is to fill out your census form, which you can do by going to 2020census.gov. In addition, Sarah suggests reading books like So You Want to Talk About Race. As she says, you challenge yourself to see what kind of assumptions you might have. Thanks for listening.